0: Well, it's good to be back. Um, I was on vacation for a couple of weeks, went to North Carolina and officiated a wedding of a close friend. Uh, my daughter was in the wedding, so it was a fun time. And then actually took some time to move my daughter down to Santa Barbara. She's starting grad school at UC Santa Barbara, my alma mater, so I'm very proud of her. Um, and so it was a good couple of weeks off, but it's good to be back and good to see all of you. Today we're starting a new series of sermons that we're calling uh, Faith Stories. And we're doing this because um, if we are people of faith, every one of us has a faith story. And that story is about how God uh, mysteriously, and I think really miraculously, reveals himself to us. I am always astounded how this happens in a person's life. That this God who has created all things, who's eternal, who really is beyond our understanding, complete understanding, somehow comes to each one of us and reveals his love to us primarily. And we begin a relationship with God. I'm always astounded by it. I've seen it happen many, many times. I've seen it in my own life. And um, what we are going to do for the next few weeks is have staff members share their faith stories. Um, And we are also tying those faith stories into uh, verses from the Bible, verses that have meant a lot to us um, because we always want to tell the story. Our story is part of the meta story, the big story. And even though every one of our stories is unique, and very personal, um, and then like any other persons, there are common characteristics to each story, and I think you'll see that in the weeks ahead. So Don and Scott and Steve Main will follow me. Um, I'm setting the bar really high today so that they have to do a good job. Um, and I have to be honest with you. I told uh, the staff as we were praying before their service today, I'm a little anxious this morning. Because whenever you share your story, um, I at least think you have to be somewhat vulnerable. Because God often meets us in our painful places. Um, If you haven't seen it already, uh, Paul Schrader and Susie Skugstad shared their stories on a video that's been on our web page and have done an amazing job and I really admired them for their courage and so I'm inspired by them and trying to follow in their footsteps. Another reason I think we need to do this is we all should be able to think about our stories and share them with one another, because they're encouraging to hear. And I would love for our church to be more comfortable with uh, sharing our stories. So as I gave some thought to my life story, there was one passage of scripture that kept coming to me uh, that's meant a lot to me in my life. And that comes, it's a passage right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, of course, is very important to me, the whole thing. And I hope to preach on that that someday throughout the the whole sermon. But this comes at the end of the sermon. Christ wraps up the greatest sermon ever preached uh, by this passage that I'm going to preach on today. You know, At the beginning of the sermon, Jesus uh, gives us the Beatitudes, those great pithy sayings right at the beginning, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacekeepers, and he goes on. And really that word blessed can be translated, you are on the right road. You're living life the way it should be lived. You're going to live the abundant life if you are this type of person. And throughout the whole sermon, that is really the theme. You're on the right road if you do this in certain situations. And then Jesus comes to the end of this sermon. And as any good preacher does, he comes and he asks the hearers or the readers to do something. He says, you know, if you really want to live life, you just can't listen to these words. You just can't be hearers. But you got to be doers. And you got to really base your life on these teachings. And so that's how we come to this passage. Matthew 7:24 through 27. If you grew up in Sunday school, you know this story, (laughs) or this parable. So Jesus says to the people gathered around him, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And here again, same thing happens. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and here's the difference. And it fell with a great crash. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would speak to us a clear word this morning, a word that can be very applicable to our lives. Um, I pray that you would speak to us through the the mystery and the power of your Holy Spirit uh, and make us think about what we really build our lives upon. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Jesus tells this parable to end, actually it's two parables, to end his sermon. Very simple. Oh, so simple, but oh my gosh, so profound. It has profound implications for our lives today. This is basically it. Two men, could be women for sure, go out to build their house, and one builds his house on the rock. Storms come, storms, big storm hits, the rains come down, the wind beats and blows against the house, and the house stands. Then we have a second guy, a foolish man. Same thing, storm comes, big storm beats blows against the house streams rise up and what happens it falls his house falls with a crash gets washed away very quickly what does this parable say it gives us some very important lessons for our lives the first thing that Jesus is telling us in this parable is we are all house builders We are all building a house on something. We all choose to build a house on something. We all have a philosophy of life that we're building our house on, a set of values, something that gives us meaning and purpose in life, something that kind of integrates our lives. We're all building it, uh, either consciously or unconsciously. To be honest with you, I think a lot of people never really consciously decide What kind of house am I going to build? We just kind of go through life. And what is the foundation for my house? But let me tell you this. Even a non-decision is a decision as we build our house. Here's what's really interesting to me. For years I studied this passage and I thought about what exactly is the foundation that Jesus is talking about here? And... Interestingly enough, I read a book that is one of the top 25 most influential, according to Time Magazine, most influential business personal growth books of all time. It has sold 40 million copies. was first published in 1989. If you go to a bookstore today, it'll still be on the shelf, still selling like crazy. A whole industry has been built around this book. You know which book it is? Seven Habits. Of highly effective people I think it's a great book I've read it a number of times and in fact for a while I was trying to just look over it every year because it is good interestingly enough Stephen Covey the author was a strong Mormon he has since passed away and I really think that he has based this book on biblical principles but here's what he says he says you know what every one of us has a center in life and I think that's another way of saying every one of us has a foundation. We're all building our lives on something. And he said, it's important to know what your center is. And he, if you have the book, go back and look at it. He has a graph where he will list these different centers like family, church. He even said that an enemy can be the center of our lives. Friends, marriage, relationships, relationships. All these things can be centers, and then he gives the kind of what happens when you make that the center of your life. But his argument is what we have to have as a foundation in our life are are principles, our natural laws, things that have been around a long time, principles that can't be taken away. And he said anything that you give your life tube, make your center or your foundation, gives you these things. It gives you security. It's your, uh, your sense of worth, your identity, your emotional anchorage, your self-esteem, personal strength or lack of personal strength. It gives you guidance. It helps you make decisions. It gives you direction in life. It gives you wisdom. It's kind of your perspective on life. Uh, Your judgment, discernment, your sense of balance. And it also gives you power. Power to act. Power, he says, interestingly enough, with the title of his book, to overcome bad habits. To put in new habits, more effective ones. Gives you the capacity to do that. So whatever is your foundation, and I I think this is what Christ is talking about. It will give you security, it will give you guidance, it will give you wisdom, and it will give you power. But we all are building. We all have some sort of center, according to Covey, or a foundation, according to Jesus. So that's the first thing. Second thing that Jesus is saying in this parable is we are all going to experience storms in life. Storms are going to come. It's one of the things I like about Christianity is it's very realistic. Jesus never tells us, you know, if you follow me, you're going to escape. Life's going to be easy, no? Boy, the person who built his house on the rock and the person who built it on the sand, they both experience storms in life. And they can come out of the blue. In fact, you know what's interesting about this in the context in which Jesus was speaking, of course, is Palestine. Much like California, same kind of weather, much like Southern California. When I was growing up in Southern California, we would go camp in the desert, in Joshua Tree. We have to be careful about where you pitch your tent and where you make your camp. Because what looks like a great camping spot in the day can be a torrent of boulders and water and mud at night and it can come from far away because of a storm. It's partly what Jesus is saying here. You don't know when they're going to hit and you don't know how big they're going to be. So choose where you put your foundation very carefully. Last thing Jesus says and it's just very clear our foundations are very important. What we choose to build our life on could be the most important decision we ever make in life, don't you think? So Jesus is saying, boy, what you build your life on, choose it carefully. Can it withstand the storms of life? So Jesus says in this parable, you want the right foundation. Jesus is making a very strong claim here. He's saying, my teaching is the solid foundation. Who I am, I am the rock. I am the foundation. You know, oftentimes I hear people say that uh, Jesus never made bold claims. Boy, I tell you, here's a bold claim right here. I am the rock. I'm the only foundation that can withstand all the storms of life. And of course, all of us are going to face the final storm, which is what? Death. All of us are going to come up against this big storm. What's going to carry you through all the storms of life? Now, for me, this is what I think it means to be a Christian. You hear Christ's words. And you begin to live the life that he has called us to live according to his teaching. And, of course, that is a process, right? For me, there were two times in my life, I mean, I think over my 50 years of being a a Christian, there have been many times where I've made that decision again. Okay, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live according to your teaching. I mean, it's something that we recommit to always and always, right? Two times really in my life where I really sat down and thought through this. The first time was when I became a Christian. You know, I've shared this before, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I was baptized Greek Orthodox as an infant, but my, my parents were divorced when I was very young, and my mom was raising three kids. <laughs> I don't think she had the energy to take us to church, honestly. <laughs> but I think also it wasn't that important to her. And so I didn't really grow up in a Christian home. I I didn't really know anything about Jesus or God. My Greek grandmother lived with us, who was bedridden, which created a lot of stress in our house, as well as really good things. She didn't speak English, kind of broken English. I kind of spoke broken broken Greek (laughs) at best. But somehow, she conveyed to me that God was important. And we had uh, icons in our house, Greek icons, and she burned incense, but I didn't know what, I just thought the incense kind of stunk. I didn't know anything about it. But she did tell me, God's important, Steve. And then in seventh grade, when I was in seventh grade, my brother was in tenth grade, my sister was in ninth grade, There was a family in our town. I I never knew any Christians, really, that I knew of. But there was this one family, four kids, very Christian family. The kids were named John, Esther, Timothy, and Daniel. How's that for Christian names for a family? But they started, their three kids were the same age as the three of us, three of the four, And they started, they asked us if we wanted to go to church. And they took my brother first, and then my older sister, and then I tagged along. I remember them picking us up in one of those huge station wagons every Sunday. And we'd take the 10-mile trip to Pasadena. And I started going to this church. And I started listening. And I had never uh, heard what they were talking about before, but... It was compelling to me, and I think how interesting for a little squirrely junior high kid to really be attracted to this message of forgiveness and new life. And I was told I could have a relationship with God, that I could experience peace. The the offer of forgiveness, I remember, was really big to me because I had experienced some guilt already. You know, what do we do with guilt? I thought, wow, that's pretty good. God doesn't want me living in guilt. And I watched the people of the church, and I saw a life there in those people and a love that was shared that I had never seen before. And it was very attractive to me. And so I came to this point of decision just like Jesus is saying this parable, you know what are you going to do, Steve? You've been listening. You've been hearing. Are you going to do it? Are you going to be a doer of the word as well as a hearer? And at that time, I made the decision to start following Christ, to try to do what Christ told me to do. I mean, I didn't know very much. Of course, it's a process. And I remember our junior high pastor telling us, you know, if you make a decision to follow Christ, to become a Christian, it will be the biggest decision you ever make in your life. He called it a super decision. I still remember this, which was really a a great insight. It's a decision that kind of makes a lot of other decisions for you. It's a super decision, and that is how it has been for me. Um. Total surprise. Complete surprise for me to become a Christian. You know, C.S. Lewis, he's written an autobiography. He, he entitled it Surprised by Joy. And that could be my autobiography. I was surprised by joy. I remember making this decision and beginning living out Life, the way Christ was calling me to live it. And one of the things I totally experienced was just joy. This freedom, this lightness of life, I don't know how else to experience. For every one of us, it's different. The Freedom from guilt, new life. I was on my way. And I began to build my foundation. And see, I needed that. Because my childhood was pretty tumultuous you know my mom and dad got divorced my dad was in the Navy I was born in San Diego he was on a cruise when I was born he was on cruises a lot during my first couple of years I, I don't ever remember my dad at home and then they got divorced and then my mom remarried my stepdad was in my life we moved to Los Angeles new chapter And that marriage ended in a divorce. But here's what happened. My stepdad had become such a big part of my life. Huge influence. And one day he was there, and one day he was gone. No explanation. And I remember feeling very abandoned twice. And hurt. And confused. But that's kind of how it was in those days, I think. You know things are so different now my dad lived he worked for Boeing my biological dad he worked for Boeing after retiring from the Navy and worked on the Minuteman missile system so every summer for a week or two I would go visit him where they were doing modifications on the system beautiful garden spots you know they don't put those missiles in population centers (laughs) (laughs) I would go to places like Cheyenne Wyoming Kimball, Nebraska, and Minot, North Dakota. It was great. <laughs> Can you imagine going from LA to Minot, North Dakota? But our life was tumultuous. I mean, my mom, you know, as so often happens, you get divorced and your income goes way down. Here's my mom trying to, to raise three kids as a single mom, take care of her mom who was bedridden. Uh, it was chaotic. And this this new teaching that I was getting helped me to kind of put life together. You know what I mean? Make sense of life. So I appreciate what happened. Very rich years. You know, my, my high school years, my years at college at UCSB, involved in ministry, started thinking about becoming pastor, worked at some summer camps, Uh, And then at the end of my college years, I fell in love and I was engaged. And then the storm hit. Out of nowhere, like the parable. You know, I remember people telling me, you do not seem like a kid of divorce. You seem happy, you seem well-adjusted, not saying that kids are not. But I remember people saying, like the man who I worked for at summer camp said, Steve, you know, I can usually tell kids whose parents are divorced and you don't match that. And I thought, I I skated through. I remained unscathed through all that stuff that happened in my childhood. And then I had my first real romantic relationship, intense relationship, and oh, boy. You know, Judith Wallerstein, who was a sociologist at UC Berkeley, wrote a book called The Un, what is, uh, Unrelated or Untalked About um, Results of Divorce. I can't remember the exact title. But she did a study of 25 kids in the Bay Area and followed them all the way through childhood, through adulthood. Kids divorce. First study on what are the effects of divorce. And if you've been divorced and have kids, I am not trying to heap any kind of guilt on you or shame or anything. It happens. And we've got to make through it. Get through it. But a lot more happens than people talk about. And what she said was, wow, first romantic relationship is when things come up. Fear of abandonment fear of failure fear of commitment want to get close but can't this is all the stuff I was going through and the relationship ended up breaking up And you know you look back on those things and you get through it but boy at the time it was really hard all the stuff going on that I was trying to work through so that was the first part of the storm And it wasn't just a broken engagement. It was dealing with all the stuff of my childhood. I moved down to L.A. And for some reason, I started going to seminary at Fuller Seminary, which was the wrong thing to do at that time. Within the space of 10 weeks, this is what happened. Went through a broken engagement. My childhood home was caught up in one of those crazy fires, like the one we experienced here in the Oakland Hills. I was on the roof with a roommate trying to water down the roof and save the house. We were there till 3 in the morning and finally said, we better get out of here. The house across the street went up. The house next door went up. And we left. The house burned down. So saw that. Blew out my knee. I was coaching. And blew out my knee and had my leg in a cast. I was working as a waiter, So I couldn't work for a while. So I was having financial difficulties. Um, I dropped out of seminary because for some reason I couldn't concentrate. And then to top it all off, my beloved VW bug was stolen. I remember sitting on the curb in West Covina. It was smoggy and hot. And I was looking for my car and I realized it was stolen. I said, God, what is going to happen next? You ever been there? Big storm. So all the things that I had kind of built my house around, besides my faith, academics, athletics, girlfriend, all gone. All that was left was my faith, and this was the third big storm. I began questioning my faith. And here's how it went. God, I have kept up my part of the bargain as far as I know. I have tried to live life to the best of my ability, and I think I've done a pretty good job with it, doing what you've asked me to do. Why is this happening to me? You ever been there? My faith was kind of a quid pro quo arrangement. If I do this, you'll bless me. If I do what you want me to do and try to do the best I can, then life's going to be okay. You know what? Jesus never promises that. And really, that reflects an understanding of faith that's very legalistic. You know, it's all about keeping rules. And that's not what faith is about. At all. So I had to kind of reconstruct my faith. And for the first time, I really started understanding God's grace and God's love in the midst of this painful thing. I often say it was the best of times and the worst of times. (laughs) So painful, it was the worst of times. But the best because God was doing a work in me that I think has prepared me for 30 years of ministry. Helping me to understand grace. Helping me to understand what faith is all about. That it's not about keeping rules. And it's not a quid pro quo arrangement. God promises his presence and his goodness through hard times. But this parable says the storms are going to come. So like any American of European descent, where do we go when we try to find ourselves? We go to Europe, right? (laughs) So I took a bicycle trip around Europe and the Middle East for a year, trying to figure life out. And I, first time in my life, really was in depression. You know, when I cancel people today who are really having a difficult time, I always ask them if they still have hope. Because hope is so important. When you lose hope, very scary place to be. And that's kind of where I was. And yet God met me there. You know, I spent a month in this place called Le Brie in the Swiss Alps. It's a group of chalets way up high in the Swiss Alps it was set up to help people who were having struggles with God intellectual struggles and doubts and that's where I went and slowly but surely began to put God began to put my life back together in a new way and I came to this point where I was coming back to the United States how am I going to live life second big time where I made the decision What am I going to build my life on? Is it going to be faith? Or is it going to be so many of the other things we can make our foundation, career, family, hedonism, adventures, another relationship, possessions, you know, career. What's it going to be? You know, adult development theory says that there are certain times in life we go through stages, and every five, ten years or something, we go through a point where we look at the fabric of our life, what makes up our life. We look at the foundation of our life, and we think, is this still working, or do, do I need to change it? Classic time is midlife crisis. Look at the fabric of life. Do I still like my wife and my kids and my family and my career and all that? Or do I want a red sports car and a new young wife? that's the radical change usually we adjust but 25 23 to 25 is one of those times this is where I was what am I going to do and I said I'm going to follow Christ and this time I'm looking at it through adult eyes and I understand the commitment and I understand really much more of what I was getting into And as I look back on that, I am so glad I made that decision. And I am actually thankful for what God put me through. And I do believe God put me through all that to refine me, to heal me, to set me free so I could live the abundant life he's called me to live. You know, ultimately, we should all ask ourselves this question, what is the foundation of my life? And really, we should ask ourselves, what difference has Christ made in my life? For me, he has made all the difference. I would not be the person I am today. My youth pastor was right. Biggest decision I ever made. And as I stand here today, I can tell you with all sincerity, Christ has given me the abundant life. Not perfect. And boy, I tell you, other storms have hit since then that I don't have time to share about or we'd be here a long time. One of them being a son who was sick for five years with Lyme disease, which is just awful. Life is not perfect, and we make mistakes, and there's forgiveness, and there's new beginnings, and there's hope when we have our foundation in Christ. Amen. God I thank you for this parable and for the truth of these words and I thank you for your gospel that it is a gospel of hope and love and forgiveness abundant life and new beginnings rich relationships not perfect not without difficulties not without storms but I thank you that through it all You walk with us. Your presence comforts us and gives us life and gives us hope. May it be true for all of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.